Welcome to part two of our interview with the co-champs. Part two. The co-champs. Yes, Bill and Tamara. Um, If you missed last week's episode, check that one out first. It is somewhat chronological, and it goes back to a chance encounter we had with Bill and Tamara down in Dayton several weeks ago. We were there for the We Will Yacht You show, the inaugural launch of that ship. Uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, part one I thought was chock full of laughs and uh, inside little baseball. <laughs> there were a lot of laughs that <laughs> didn't make laughs. it, too. Yeah, oh exactly. My gosh. Um, it, but we avoided, for the most part, the Chicago era stuff. Yeah, we asked him ahead of time. Uh, we wanted to know. We didn't want to kind of step in it. So we asked him ahead of time, um, do you want us to avoid talking about Chicago? And he's like, well, we don't need to avoid it entirely, but it's not really. He said, that's a small part of what makes me who I am. Yeah. Well, maybe we should hop right into, without further ado, oh. uh, part do of our talk with uh, Bill and Tamara. Yeah, the pressing question was that he was working on the Runaway album, and the song Sarah was moving up the charts. It was in the top 10. It was at the same time that Hard to Sam Sorry was also in the top 10, so he was out there as a solo artist, yet he had made the transition to joining Chicago, and how did the timeline of all that work out and what were the the sort of the wrinkles of all that having both of that going on did was the record label in support blah 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 i just needed to hear from him how that whole thing happened but i wanted to go into the wayback machine one more time to ask sure, a quick question let's go to the wayback yes <laughs> exactly um your uh runaway album yeah and i'm curious about the timing of that um because right on the David Foster producing most of that I know Kenny Loggins also produced some co-produced one co-produced one and taking it on uptown is that yeah. correct okay but mostly it was a Foster production and then at the same time you're making the transition Whoa. towards Chicago after that I yeah. didn't go I didn't go with Chicago until Runaway was done that's when I got the call for Chicago okay right and I had done Foster was was you know Danny Serafin had uh, it's really weird because he called a friend of mine Angelo singer uh, who for like three or four years earlier had worked on a record of his with Mike Stewart producing right Mike did the uh, Piano Man album and the first the first two Billy Joe albums mm. and so I did the uh, I said, and he, he came up north up to San Francisco or actually to Berkeley at Fantasy Records and, and I did a record with Angelo there and great voice beautiful voice but Angelo is the ex-husband of Danny's new wife Okay. At, the at the time, at the time, just a few wives back for Danny, but uh, and sweetie pie, wonderful, and uh, and and he called me. I was right in the middle of doing the Rip Hour album, the Rip, mm-hmm. and uh, and is it using another tune I co-wrote? So this, oh, I didn't know that one. one of those. I did not know that. And Somebody I did all backgrounds on okay. that. One too. Wow. Did you know that? Nope, I did not know that. So uh, uh, man, how about Eric Tag? Oh, what a sweet set of pipes. Good guy. Too. Yeah. Texas, I think he lives in Dallas. Dallas. Pretty sure, yeah. I just but uh, so uh, so then uh, where was I? Uh, so I mean, he called me at about nine in the morning, and I just come home from working late at about four. So I was like, "Hello." I sound very white. Yeah, Call Rich Page one time, you know, real early in the morning. Hello. Really? <laughs> said, wow. Was well, this Barry White or Richard mm-hmm. Page? It's Richard Page before coffee. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we, so I, I said, Angela, he said, well, I don't have any money. It's just it would be a freezy. And I said, normally I'd be there in a minute, but I got a really bad cold. 
I lied my ass off. <laughs> and he says, you know, Pete said the same thing. He said he had a cold, but he's going to make it anyway. Pete, who's Pete? He said, Peter Cetera. I said, well, I think I can get over my cold pretty quick. Where are you cut? <laughs> so we went there, and Danny was, you know, it was the first time I met Danny. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the, the engineer was John Stronach. Pretty good, pretty well-known engineer. And so Peter and I were kind of working up some background parts for this piece. We went out and, and started singing it. You know, it, it, when you're in the in the booth, it's... Got it. And then you go out and bang it. Mm-hmm. You know, hit, it hit it hard. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> just, you know, barely whispering it. Is this the first time you're meeting Peter? Huh? It's yeah, the first yeah. time I met him. And you start collaborating right away. Oh, yeah, instantly, instantly doing background. Oh, my God. Thing. This is Dave, you know, yeah. basically. And uh, so we go out and we let it fly on the, on the mic, and I look in there, and Danny and John are just going, what a fucking blend. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Chins so on that, the floor. That, that, yeah. You know, the, the chins were on the floor, like, ah. So we walked in, and they were both like, oh, man, that's amazing. You know, we don't even need to double it. They just wow. maybe double the third part on the top, and we're there. You know, get it, knock it off with two tracks. And uh, so, so then Danny called me and said, "Said you were interested in in replay doing something? You know, Donnie Dacus isn't quite working out." Right. I said, "Well, look, I got the call right after Terry passed away." Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, the next day, the, the management because I knew the management, Irving Azov and Howard Kaufman. Yeah. So Howard called me and uh, he says, we're thinking about maybe putting you in in place of Terry Cap. I didn't ask any more than, that's that guitar chair. Yeah. And I said, man, I play guitar. Well, I ain't that good. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I can, I think I am when I'm playing, but I'm not. Right, yeah, when you listen back, <laughs> you're not. I'm smart enough to know. I, I got one solo, yeah. count it, right. one. Yep. And, and Calf was just an amazing yeah. guitar player. I said, man, I ain't the guy. You know, so I gave him Carmen Grillo's number, and Carmen actually had it right up to where Donnie walked in, and then Donnie, Donnie walked in knowing every Chicago song ever recorded, mm. backwards and forwards. So that pretty much got it. But then there was it. the vocal aspect of it. And he sang, too. Well, Carmen's as good a singer as anybody I know. Carmen Grillo's a monster singer. He's just great. He's, uh, he, was, he played rhythm guitar with Tower Power for like 10 yeah. years, maybe. Mm. Yeah, he's, and he plays with the sons, and I played with him. He was best man at our wedding. This is how oh, far back. We used to be on the road with Rita Coolidge together. Oh, my okay. goodness. Wow. He just didn't feel like he was the guitar player they needed. And okay. So I, I passed on the gig, and then later on they found out that they had a, a ringer, a, a sideman playing guitar, that, but what they needed was a voice. Right. And that, so, and that came up after Danny had listened to me and Peter singing together. Okay. Said, well, I, I got to make this happen. Yeah. So he kind of... Made it happen. It was right on the heels. I was just done with uh, with the uh, Runaway album. Yeah, just mixed, and I don't, I don't think it was even mastered yet. And and they gave me this call, and I and I went, well, what do you what do you see me doing? He said, well, you know, some guitar, good little bit of keyboard, organ maybe be good. Uh, mostly singing. You know, we hear you singing Terry stuff. So I said, what song would that be? So well, make me smile. I said, that's cool. I like mm-hmm. that. He said, "Color my world." So I got to get back to you. Mm-hmm. I'm not a real fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I finally went, "Yeah, fuck, I'll get through it somehow." Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I called him. I said, "Yeah, we're in." He said, "Well, we got to make sure that we run it by the guys." It was great because we had a meeting. They were they were cutting sixteen basically. Yeah. And I had had a meeting up there, and Satara was there, Jimmy was there, I think Walt was there, Lee I think might have been there, but uh, they were saying, "Well." I remember it was one point where Jim Pankow said, but you got to remember, man, this isn't even really a band. It's a family. We're a family. And mm-hmm. I said, look, I got a family. 
<laughs> and I just came out of a band of you know for 13 years and the minute we started calling ourselves a family is the minute we were in trouble ah. I said if if I do this it's going to be a musical project and Satira got up and said Right on, you got the gig. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, was there a sense that either before, either during or even later, as you look back, that that coming right on the heels of Runaway either overshadowed it or did it elevate it? No, to, it overshadowed it. Okay. Yeah. Because Runaway was on Electra, which was on Warner's, and, and Chicago right. was, was basically on Warner's. So, so Warner's kind of went, shut this one down. Sarah was getting mm. airplay. Yeah. Yeah. And, we and we went out. Hard to say. I'm sorry. Was the number mm-hmm. one record mm-hmm. on AC. We were in Florida. We went into a radio station to to hype ourselves for a gig, and uh, and the program director said, "Bill, come here." He said, I, "I I saw your electric guy this morning. Sarah's number ten on the charts." After uh, uh, what's mm-hmm. it? Hard to say. I'm sorry. Or, sorry to say. I'm hard. Is <laughs> actually number uh, is actually number one. Oh. He said, "But I I." talked to the electric guy who came in pushing some other records or something and I told him that he's got a number 10 record on the charts he said really by who is it Bill Champlin I said who the fuck is that because <laughs> when Runaway was released this this, I, this came, to, and came down two or three days before Danny before Danny called me to, to see if I could be in the band I realized that the guy who signed me at Electra was Joe Smith he was leaving Oh, so you're so it was another another great war story of losing. Same thing happened with Welcome to the Dance with the Sons. Two days after, two days or two days before our release, Clive Davis was sacked and thrown out of CBS. (laughs) Clive signed us. Yeah, so there you are. So my whole team. Wouldn't that have been a a real opportunity for Warner Brothers to go? We got number one, and the new member of Chicago's got number in the top top ten also, and and for them to not. Put that right. together, yeah. and, and in fact, some of the word of mouth did make that record go. Mm-hmm. But had Warner Brothers really embraced it, they would have made even more of that. You know, they could have made so much more of that. In Europe, yes. yeah, I found this out like five years later from Jack Forchette. In Europe, there was a big retailer in Germany that got in touch with Electra and said, "I want you to send me two hundred thousand Bill Champlin runaway albums mm. and they wouldn't send it to him. Oh, really? So they spiked it. Well, that album is really highly thought of now within the Yacht Rock niche circles. Well, the big time. Yacht Rock or the, yeah. The, yeah. the, it's it's one of the, the you know, Desert Island records mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what I'd like to call West Coast music. Yep. Yeah, for sure. You know, and West Coast music forward slash Yacht Rock is the same shit. Mm. Basically, it's the, uh, it's basically pop with a little bit of R&B and a little, a little bit of education. Mm-hmm. Boom. A lot there. That's it's a couple amazing stories. Oh in my there. gosh, yeah. The, you know, when we he talks about the, the time when he meets Peter Cetera, I feel like that's one of the seminal moments in like all of rock and roll history because yeah. of that just it was a perfect blend for a while there. Those two voices. It's one of those cases where you uh, I almost compare it I think to like sticks or something where you have these voices that by themselves sound so entirely different mm-hmm. that on paper you can't see how they match, but all of a sudden they sing together and it's almost like the the harmonics of one voice fill in the gaps of the other or whatever. When the two are together, it's just magic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then we segue into one of my newfound favorites is that, uh, that later Chicago tune, Look Away, which yes. I c- kind of forgotten that I had forgotten. Yeah. Um, and I think I included the uh, CWF version in uh, in our well, lightning round. So anyways, we get into that a little bit. Yep. And that's the Diane Warren song that they were talking about earlier. Yeah. 
just literally learned the other day that is Look Away the band's best selling song? As far as you know? I, it's, it's probably the most played. Yeah. It was most played in 1989. Most played in 1989. Yeah. Now, awesome. I think, between you and me, I'd say... Uh, Long before I was in the band, if you leave me now, was a giant hit worldwide. Mm-hmm. As and the next one they had that was a giant hit worldwide was Look Away. Mm-hmm. But in Europe, I don't want to live without your love was actually bigger than Look Away. Really? Yeah. Is there? Or was, my real question is: Is there a Bill Champlin or a Tamra Champlin favorite Chicago song? Oh, hard habit to break, obviously. Okay. I mean, Foster's arrangement on that is love stellar, and I talked to him. Less about a year ago, a little more than a year ago, right before the pandemic came. Okay. He, mm-hmm. he had a show. I was like, fuck, this is great. It was really cool. John Robinson on drums had a bass player. I don't know who it was. Uh, uh, Probably two keyboard players <laughs> through the roof. It wasn't Nathan. No, like four, four singers and David on piano. Oh, oh man. Scary good. One of the singers, a girl named, well, one of them is, is his wife, Catherine McPhee. McPhee, yeah, she's Catherine. awesome. She was great. incredible. Yep. Uh, Shalala. 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 Yeah. Shalala. 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 And she signed to, to Quincy Jones, and she was incredible. She was the best, best singer I've ever heard. I was sitting there next to Jay. Everybody. And I said, this is the best singer I've ever heard. And I went backstage with David, and I said, man, she's bad to the bone. He's wait till you hear her play piano. She oh. plays fucking circles around me. <laughs> really? She's oh my God. She's just the most amazing musician. And she's kind of dying on the vine with Quincy's. Beautiful <laughs> girl, too. And the other singer was uh, Pia Toscano. I don't know that name. Beautiful girl. She a beautiful singer. And um, she sang like the Celine Dion stuff and Barbara Streisand, a little, some of them. I, yeah. I don't know who sang what. but And then, then but they had a guy she, that was doing all the... Uh, Bocelli. Yeah, the Bocelli stuff. Good, good operatic kind yeah. of singer. So it was a really great show. And David was, you know, getting up and talking about it. It was just almost like stand-up comedy. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was a kick in the yeah, We were real, so moved was by his it. documentary that it showed a side of it. I had no idea. I was surprised not to see you in it, but it was... Well, yeah, really, he showed he did, I mean, the engineer, cool. Umberto Gatica, was really, really interested that he wasn't mentioned. He was in it. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what was weird is when he had all kinds of slides from the early days, and almost every picture was with me and Jay mm-hmm. and the shots, yeah. you know. And, and so David says, well, I'm a little nervous because the co-writers on After the Love are sitting out in the audience. And I hadn't <laughs> seen David in 20 years. Wow. And the last time I had talked with him, I, I was, we were playing in Vancouver, and this guy backstage said, hey, Bill, here. Hands me a phone. I said, hello, who's this? It's Foster. <laughs> it's says, Champlin. Who? Said, Come on, Foster. You know, oh, yeah. And then he said, you know, I'm really pissed at you. I said, what the fuck did I do? What a, you mean for the time I keyed your card, slashed your tire? What, what the fuck are you talking about? He said, well, the, the Chicago's just a remaster of my era. And, and he said, somebody on, on, the, on the liner notes said, we hate what David Foster did to us. And I said, and you think that was me? Mm-hmm. Are you fucking out of your mind? He says, yeah, well, you know, it's the company you keep and shit like that. I said, oh. right, David. So then oh he, goes, he goes on Oprah Winfrey and, and says, well, me and Jay Graydon wrote After the Love is Gone. Uh-huh. And the lyrics came to me in my sleep. What? Oh, well. You know, and finally I just got, got a hold of Jay because I talked to Jay regularly. I said, next time you see Foster... He's got 14 Grammys, and he's going to fucking try to pull out my one or two. <laughs> and, you know, and then Graydon wow. and Lukather just say, wow, yeah. we wrote it and put it together. Yeah. Well, fuck you. I was in there. And, you know, just, just. You got to go all Diane Warren and sell yourself, Miller, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, Bill's I'm real, good at writing it. I'm really good at singing generous. it. He's and, the most, and then he's I'm good the at producing it. I ain't good at sewing it. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. the most generous band leader. He, he's. 
passes it around to everybody and builds everybody up like if they're going to do a solo you think they're god playing mm -hmm. you know and and it's just it's, it's hard to hard to handle that yeah i mean we did a, i did a tour once with a solo band and, and almost everyone says this guy passes the ball around like like a really good basketball player you know and and i you know i would say well here's get a cassette or a cd here's what i did beat it mm -hmm. make it better what you did with imagination mm -hmm. sake you just you heard what it was you really cop what made it go and then you put your own stuff on mm -hmm. it and mm -hmm. it made it even hipper it was really cool mm, well i'm gonna save that quote <laughs> yeah glad there was no background noise there <laughs> oh, I mean, no, no, no. Hit save while you're here. that was fun that was a really neat it was fun yeah. did you that, did you yeah. sing on that song yeah yeah. So you said your falsetto sometimes goes on vacation. So oh, the blessing of that was I got this. It goes on vacation. Oh, yeah. It goes on strike. On strike. <laughs> <laughs> I get a certain range, but oh, right in the range where I used to live is just gone. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> My laugh is the idea of Foster calling him and blaming him for the backlash that uh, Chicago was getting. It's the company you keep, he says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Imagine getting that call backstage. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, um, all right, so let's move ahead. What's, what, what was the next clip we got here? Well, we, we're, we're talking to him about, um, he, he talked a little bit about his singing. We uh, er, earlier heard about his influence, how much he had taken from Lou Rawls and all that stuff. And he started to talk about doing some sessions with uh, Jason Sheff and um, working with uh, Jay Graydon. And, um, well, maybe we'll just let him tell the story. Yeah, my doctor says, you sing? <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine it. You know, at your age? I said, yes. I'm... But in so many ways, you don't sing like anybody else either. So maybe there's part of that to it, could you be, know? I don't know? A very unique style. Well, I'm, I'm in one of those things where if I go for something and it's not there, I go for something else. You know how to recover real yeah. quick. Yeah. I get out of yeah. trouble. I, somebody said, you know, Graydon was, was, we were doing, I think he was, he was helping produce a Kenny Rogers song. And he wanted me and Jason to sing the, the chorus on it. A song called 20 Years Ago. And uh, so he was going to staff me and then have Jason go in and really lock the phrasing. And he went in and, uh, and uh, you know, sang it once. And Jay said, Bill, that much under. So I brought it that mm -hmm. much up. And he looked at Jason and he said, a million great singers, but the real, what separates the men from the boys is that they can fix it mm -hmm. if it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all just, it's, it's funny. When I saw the 414, yeah. it used to be when we were doing sessions, every studio that had, was a, our favorite mic. had an 87 mm -hmm. yep. and a 414. And, you know, producer go, which mic would you like? I said, ballad or fast one? It's a oh. fast one. 414. Ballad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got an RE20 over here if you want me to pull that out for you. <laughs> I, used to, I used to actually, when we had shitty monitors back in the day, I, was, I, I had an RE15. Oh, wow. That's what Sly used on. Yeah. It's this sound, all mid-range and highs mm -hmm. and everything, which you can hear over the over a band. 
Right. Even it was cutting for AM radio a lot of times too. So yeah, doing the AM radio mixes. Yeah, AM yeah. radio is like it's pretty funny. Bobby Kimball one time gave me a set of uh, of hearing aids because I mean, uh, high powered Leslie right behind me looking over at the band made yeah. some made some you know for years made went for some bad hearing at certain points. Yeah. And Bobby handed me this little set of, uh, of hearing aids. I put them in. And I said, "Wow, it's stereo." But it's a 1959 <laughs> Japanese transistor radio. Suddenly, it was like everything was. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that hurt even more. But it was probably. stereo. It was you know, right. in that sense, it worked. But I just went. I'd rather, I'd rather fight it. I mean, Steve Picaro had a had a, like stroke of some kind, lost his whole, lost one one side completely. Really, he's really? still a monstrous musician. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got the other one. Well, Beethoven did. Beethoven all right. did. All right. <laughs> there you go. Well, nice to know you had the right mic picked out. Because it wasn't a ballad, it wasn't a rocker, it's just talk. Right, yeah, right. So that worked. That worked out well. Um, <laughs> the idea that Be- Beethoven did all right. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Why don't we almost both said that at the same time? I know. You guys have had classical music on the mind, yeah, right? Which is a good segue into our next clip. Yeah, talking, uh, apparently Bill's been listening to a lot of classical music and he starts to hear how some of the great arrangers, and he specifically talked about Foster's arranging of pop bands, how much he can see how the techniques that David used, particularly doubling in the low ends, so doubling bass, maybe synths down their left-hand piano, how that all suddenly occurred to Bill, how that represents sort of maybe a cello and bass section of an orchestra. So that was that's a interesting takeaway. So let's listen to a little of that. I've just funny lately though I think we were watching what was it Red Red Sparrow Red Sparrow uh-huh. there's a lot of Tchaikovsky in it and you know we were watching a movie and I kind of lost touch with with classical music and I yeah. went holy shit every once in a while this this is amazing and then I started jumping back into Beethoven and stuff and I'm I'm a bit of a classical freak at this point in the game because you at this at this stage you really realize especially with with stuff Foster's done you realize where you got a lot of it yeah yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of boom, 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 little bass moves. You know, you got a a, a baritone horn and a, and a string bass doing lines like that. Mm-hmm. It's the same as having a guitar double. Like think of Hey Joe, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, sexy. <laughs> Doubles downstairs. I mean, David's one of those guys who really knows how to use all that. Yeah. Use guitars in the same orchestral position as you would use cellos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and then there was the doubling of synth bass and regular bass. You'd, you oh, know, yeah. had a lot of that going on then, too, which was a well, killer I mean, sound when you got Foster's it right. Foster's a great synth player. I mean, he, he took a mini move and just, yeah. you know, he, he was <laughs> dangerous with it. David Pace was one of the best yep. players. Amazing yeah. bass for, player. For synth bass, yeah. He actually played synth bass on... Uh, Turn Your Lover. Turn Your Lover. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Picaro program, program <laughs> the Lindrums. While his drums are sitting over there, he's going, can I? Okay. <laughs> and I think that was the last one. But that's one of the few programmed beats because of everything else that's around it that still jives. It still has yeah. mojo to yeah. it. It's, it's, well, the song just swings Jeff, still. Jeff always, whenever he worked it, he'd always just, he, he wouldn't put it in chunks and put the chunks together. He'd just go into, into full mode and play it all the way through. Oh, okay. So it, it still felt like a yeah. like a thing. He was just like, yeah, I don't need to do that. This is me. And just did that. It's funny though, Jeff Lynn, or uh, Roger Lynn was a funny dude. He did a he did the first version and then the second version he changed position of the buttons so there was a crash symbol at the bottom of the right and I said why'd you change the position for that I mean it doesn't make any difference you put, so you can go take my wife please 
was like, really? He said, yeah, exactly. That's, oh, my God. He said, okay, Roger. <laughs> all in one stroke. Yeah, all in one, all in one stroke. Because then you have a drum machine handy every time you're going to make a joke. Right? <laughs> exactly. I got my Lindrum here. Oh, Roger was, I, I haven't seen him in years, and then he went underwear for I a I love guy. that machine. He's he he one funny guy, man. It was, it was a, I didn't know him that well, but any time I hung with him, I was like, God, this guy's great. He's kicking me ass. So were your uh, toes curling when he was talking about uh, how great they were at uh, playing synth bass? Did you see the steam emanating from my ears? You probably thought <laughs> there's no such thing as a great synth bass player, but there is. Hold on. I, let's pause. Okay. I love synth bass. I don't like synth bass in my Yacht Rock. I like making fun of your <laughs> synth bass feelings. Well, I, make, I like making fun of just about everything that you do. Um, did you ever play the Lindrum? <laughs> <laughs> Because only when I had a good joke, Andy. Jeff Picaro did, though. <laughs> That's right. Uh, which I love how he says Picaro and Picaro. Picaro, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but that's a good thing. <laughs> Set it up just so you could do the, yeah. So he moves the buttons around just so he can go, <laughs> yeah. take my wife, please. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, so, which actually, that that talk, I think, led me to, about, you know, synth bass and Lindrum and, and all that stuff. And The next I, logical question, right? Yeah, like, did that ruin music or did you like it? And uh, we start talking about digital recording, and then we segue into some of these digital instrumentations and machines and all that stuff. And it was interesting to get his take. Where do you personally, stand, or where did you personally stand as things started getting digitized in the mid '80s? Did you embrace it, or and all that? I was man. I love my my MCI mm. twenty four track. I loved it, but I was you know at the time right after the earthquakes, you know ninety four ish, mid '90s is when they really started to go. So I, the first thing I did was, is I was still doing uh, digital performer, and I did. I said if I could go Pro Tools and spend, at the time, ten, eleven thousand yeah, dollars to find out I don't like it, mm-hmm. or I can go Motu twenty four eight for twenty four oh eight for eight hundred bucks. Yep. So I kind of got my, got my chops with that, mm-hmm. and I went, oh, now it's okay. And then when I when I when we moved from California to. Uh, then I got the twelve ninety six, I think it was, mm-hmm. which is which is just more tracks with the same the same basic stuff. Then when we moved to the studio in uh, Nashville. in Nashville, Chaz Sanford, who built the studio for me, just said, "Why don't you just come up where the big boys are?" So they just started me doing, got me doing Pro Tools, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not real good at it. I do, I, I'm good at what I need to get. I'm not the guy that's that's going to be looking for you know make EDM. Right. You know, to it's you, it's more still a. a- a linear track recorder, probably. That's yeah. why I still approach. I use Cubase. Yeah, that's what Carmen Grillo said. Yeah. He said, "Well, if, you, if you're going Pro Tools, if you're going digital, just remember, it's just a it's a 24 track without having to hire four guys to carry it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly. And there's and then down the line after, after a while, if you need some razzle dazzle, it's there. You can yes. get it. What about the like the synth replacing organic instruments and DX7, DX7 and, and drum machines placing drum? Like, did you well, embrace that song? I got them all, and I got a I got a uh, I can't remember what, uh, DMX drum machine, mm-hmm. and I use it for some stuff here and there. I use drum machines now. I use it all the time. It's just addictive drums, and yes, yeah. it's a soft synth. Mm-hmm. But I was, you know, if it's a record that's going out, it gets replaced by a real drummer. Okay, mm-hmm. simple as that. But I got it to where I, got, you know, at least it's now. A great I'm, songwriting tool. It, right. Yeah, it's just a tool. all of this stuff are just tools. To, I think tools to move along the song. And but to, for me, the song and the singing are the whole thing, and it, and it has been from from back in cylinders. Somebody said, "Hey, did you ever record on tape?" I said, are "You kidding me?" And my first album, I recorded on smoke signal. <laughs> That's how far back it is. 
<laughs> his first album was recorded on smoke signals. <laughs> he's he's quite the quipster. He's, we found he's out full of them. Man. Yeah, yes, yeah. indeed. Pretty quick too. Yep. Well, that brought us even further forward because part of what he was doing with this um, appearance and this tour is he's got a new album out, relatively new, uh, within the last year called uh, "Living for Love." And this is a little more of a band album. They went back to sort of uh, recording live musicians in kind of much more of a funky blues gospel approach. Mm-hmm. But and, some uh, of the names you, that you would recognize, too. Yeah. And he also had some, uh, yeah, there were some Yachty guys on there. Um, but they also have gone through a process of remastering some of the old Sons of Champlin stuff. And all that stuff was available for sale at the event. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let them talk a little about that. Before you do. Yeah. How funky do you think this guy? Well, actually, we'll let Bill fill in the blank. <laughs> um, you said uh, you like to sing and you like to uh, record, but you don't like to sell. But you're producing on this as well and probably selling well, this. Living really for kind life. of what came down. We just done a, a record called Wonderground, which was me and Tamara yeah. and Gary Falcone. Good album. Really good album. And it was the first time I really said, I'm going to produce this shit. And it was a band. And it was kind of a bandy kind That's of thing. I, I made okay. sure... That Gary got plenty of vocals on it because it started off as just me helping him with a solo record, and then it started looking getting better and better. And, and you know he was unable to do certain things. I said, I'll, just, "I'll knock it off, guest artist kind of thing." And then Tamara was just, "Tamara, would Tam- you sing this?" And Gary and Tamara and we all just kind of went, "Fuck, it's a it's a band." We didn't start a band until it just started. The band itself kind of formed around okay. it. So we just went ahead with that and did the record that way. And then, uh, and then I was just sitting at home playing guitar, just acoustic guitar. T- TV was on. I'm just playing this thing. Had a couple, of, you know, things going on. Tamara came home from being out. I don't know where she was. She came home. She says, "What's that?" I said, "What's well, a tune? I'm kind of writing. I, let me play it for you." So I played her like the the intro, verse, and a chorus. And I didn't have all the lyrics quite yet. There's a little doo da doo da mm-hmm. here and there. And she said, "Bill, it's time." you got to do a solo album. It's been 10, 11 years mm-hmm. since you've done one. So I went, okay, you know, you're right. And then right around that time, the, the pandemic happened. I got nothing else to do. How, many, well. how many, you know, episodes of Diners, Drive-Ins, and yeah. Dives can you <laughs> sit on the couch and eating bonbons watching TV? You realize how small Netflix is? More than you think, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I did most of the work. Some of it we already kind of had. Uh, songs that we'd co-written with Gary. So Gary's got a, got some writing on the record, mm-hmm. a little bit of playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, we we ended up, uh, I kind of ended up doing an album. The next thing I knew, and the drummer on, on a good portion of the record, on half the record was uh, Gordon Campbell, is the guy that okay. Carmen mm-hmm. turned me on to. He's a really good drummer. And uh, and Alan Hurts, who plays with the Sons. Oh, yeah. And also plays with uh, Scott Henderson and, and occasionally with Mike Landau. Good drummer, really good drummer. Plus, he's a great Pro Tools mixer. We're talking one-stop shop. Go nice. Get the drums on it, leave the drive there. Yeah. Why don't you start on a mix and we'll finish it up t- tomorrow. So, I mean, he can he can mix it right after he played drums on it. Wow, okay. Because I, I set up the songs with the, with, the, with the Addicted Drums. Yeah. And I got a drum set in there that's thump, 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 thump. Sounds like James Gadsden's drums. Yeah, yeah. There's no ring. Yeah. It's just just the groove, yeah. so it doesn't get in the way of anything like that. So that the drummer can hear it and go, "I see what you hear." The core, and, and again, I set up the. I usually go seventeen percent uh, swing factor, mm-hmm. so there's a little, little push and pull on yeah. it, which is my kind of thing. 
So I've kind of found it where it makes me feel good to dip yep. over, dub over. And uh, Alan knows my groove like crazy, so he just, I just get him to play drums on it. It's we we had done Wonderground on uh, our own. We create our own label. Your own label. The, the, I think it's Wonderground label, right? Yeah, Wonderground Wonder yeah. Records. Wonderground yeah. Records. And so we put that record on it and sold a lot of them, you know, as mm-hmm. much as we could sell. And then uh, when Bill did his record, we just didn't want to wait. There's no reason to go... Figured we put it out and yeah. do it. Do so, it and actually, I, I really had a lot of help with Imagine Records, which is a company based yeah, out of they, DC. Yeah, they bought the digital. They side. do the digital. Okay. Right. They so they did all the iTunes, the Spotify, Spotify places, all that yeah. kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Digital trying. I think they were trying to get it on uh, XM, but I don't know what they did. Uh, and he said, he said, I don't really want to do physical, you know, CDs. I said, Do you mind if I do? He said, Of course, go for it. So this album is available at BillChamplin.com forward slash shop. So we got all the Sons, Sons stuff in there. And there's still, still some available. Uh, some guys, an engineer in England took the Sons, all the Sons records, remastered them uh, off of, you know, virgin copies. He remastered them, got rid of all the, <laughs> got rid of all that. Things, these records were recorded in like eight tracks and four tracks and stuff way a long time ago. He made it sound like they were cut last week. So we started buying, we started buying, you know, wholesale from them, cases of those records. Mm-hmm. He sent them over and we were selling them at Sons Gigs. And they're great, you know, they're wow. totally happy. They sound amazing. So that's part of part of what's available at this at the, the shop on okay. the world Championship. Get one of those. It's, it's they're right there. Circle filled with love is one of my favorites, obviously. Huh? <laughs> it's got circle, it's yeah. got circle, it's got loving is why, it's got the Sun's album, the one with gold mine on it. Okay. It's got uh, the the Welcome to the Dance, the one record we did for CBS. And then it's got the first three, the Suns or uh, Loosen Up. Naturally, as sons and uh, follow your heart. Mm-hmm. Hollow up. your fart. Loosen up is a double album. Huh? Loosen up is a double album. Yeah. So, so there's there's two a lot of material. Two albums on yeah on, you know and it's like they're they're double double CD yeah. package. Wow. It's yeah. a living for love is also available. Right. The living new for record love is available and that's the one that would you know I mean I, you know we sold a lot of them but we you know it's not one of those records that is whoops I guess it, it sounds six months old let's throw it away it's not that kind of yes. my music's never been like that right, no. right. if you right. like it you like it now and you like mm-hmm. it 20 years for sure yeah so and now you notice Lenny Castro's on here and Greg Matheson as well Matheson and I have been working on all kinds of stuff for all kinds of time really we, we co-produced a record called Burn Down the Night together years ago it's just great mm. great we had George Hawkins and Tristan Bowden on the rhythm section, Bruce Skytch on most of the guitars on it. Got Luke to play a couple solos on it. Matheson, you know, I was playing a lot of rhythm guitar, playing a lot, of, a lot of keyboard and organ. Matheson's one of the best organ players in the, in the world, and Greg and I have written some great songs together. The three things we got on here that Greg and I did are funkier than a three-day-old Band-Aid. <laughs> it's so funky, it move in next door, your lawn dies. <laughs> Funkier than a three-day-old band-aid. That is an image I wish I had never had put in my head. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. speaking of which, uh, 
Did you ever see Caddyshack too? <laughs> no, I didn't. You did, thankfully. Well, I, I did because I don't know why I watched most of it. Like uh, you know, Bill's going to say it didn't last long. I don't think I watched the whole thing, but like trying to replace Rodney Dangerfield with Jackie Mason was a big mess. It looks like it makes sense on paper. <laughs> I mean, in a way, but I like Jackie Mason. I know, too, but that was just ugh. the whole thing looked good on paper. Looks better on a soundtrack. Yes, let's hear them talk about it. Well, before we let you both go. Um, I heard I learned some new Tamra Champlin trivia today. Uh oh. Really? Yeah. Uh, about the Caddyshack Two what? soundtrack. Didn't you say? Oh, Caddyshack Two. Yeah. Yeah. That you had a, a song on the soundtrack. Is that right? Yeah. It's, it's called Heart of Glass, and that um, Bruce Geich and Bill and I wrote it, and so and Jay ended up producing it. They were trying to get all sorts of people to sing it. Like, uh, who was that, Princess? Some princess or somebody, <laughs> you know, and a couple of artists that nobody had ever heard of. And I went, oh, you know, I'll just, you know, I can do this. And Jay said, I, I, can, I can get this happening for you. Just mm-hmm. okay. let me do this. He brought in actually Randy Kerber on piano. Abel Borel played bass on it, I think. Jay played some guitar. Luke might have played on was it. Was it Randy Kerber or was it? It wasn't. Randy Kerber was the piano player. Oh. Yeah. You're learning trivia yourself. All right. And so it was the third single off of that soundtrack. I don't need, I guess so. The first single know. off of that soundtrack. Yeah, okay. Was it? Yeah. 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 Right off the bat. Of course, the soundtrack was way better than the movie itself. Yep. <laughs> that part I already knew. We tried to sit through that movie the sound, all the time. The, 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 the soundtrack is longer than the movie. There's nothing on. The soundtrack is longer than the movie last Right. Yeah. Right. Well, great. I mean, they didn't have Rodney, so it was, Yeah. Right. they had, who's the comedian that uh, uh, Jackie Mason. Jackie, Jackie Mason. Mason. Oh, Jackie Mason. Mason. Yeah. It just wasn't quite oh, enough. Yeah. It was funny. There was some good things in it, but the, you know, Rodney at that point in the game had really made the first one happen. Oh. Right. Yeah. And not having him, and not, I don't think I don't think Ted Knight was. I don't think Ted Knight was in it either. So not having those two guys, I don't know. I kind of you lost a whole yeah thing going on there, I, which was which was cool. I mean, it ended up okay. It it's like I say, and then I did that one uh, one duet with uh, Patty Labelle mm-hmm. on Miami Vice too, and that that would have been big because the, the the show was through the roof. Mm-hmm. So they changed nights on TV on the night they showed it. They changed nights and put it opposite Dallas. Oh, Ooh, that's a killer. Bad move. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, no matter how... Back when that mattered. It's like, hey, yeah. move over and let the big dog eat. You know, right. We're yeah. talking Dallas was just, it was, you know, mm. bulletproof. Right. And that kind of was the end of Cat, of uh, Miami, Miami Vice. Vice. Miami Vice, which is too bad. Because Don, I mean, Tamara and I did, uh, did backgrounds on the Don Johnson record. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah. Tamara actually did the video. It's yeah. one of the worst oh. videos ever made. I it think. was the second worst video aside from the one. The worst. Was and the first worst was love. the first oh. worst was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they voted. So we got on the we got on the BH1. Razzie list. I guess. Oh. <laughs> BH1 voted Peter's number one and the Don Johnson one number. And two. you're involved in both. It's me and Moon Moon uh, Zappa. Zappa. Moon Zappa. And uh, so I guess they used I think they used Dweezil on guitar in the video. Oh that was funny. Yeah. That was a fun little hang, you know. It was yeah. something to do. Reason to go to Florida. Yeah. That's a good. That's good. I'll take it. We, they, they put us up at a, a nice hotel in, in Florida, and we go to Criteria and go, 
Not yet. Okay, back to the hotel. We sat, Let's go to Joe's. We Don't sat crack. and waited for um, oh, Bonnie Ray, yeah. Whoopi Goldberg, Ron Wood, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Wow! And everybody in the studio to get through with whatever hanging. they were doing, hanging, yeah. hanging, hanging. So that was 1988, and uh, Heart of Glass that she was talking about was produced by Jay Graydon, as mm. they said. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to drop in a little bit of that. So it's, it is funny to hear them talk about that uh, two of the worst videos of all time, according to VH1, and they're involved in both of them. <laughs> oh. Well, the glory of, I got to agree with the glory of love. It's yeah. not my favorite. No, not at all. That's being nice. Um, all right. Well, then the uh, interview took an interesting turn because I did not think we'd be talking about this particular legend of guitar. When we drove down there. No, and we got there in a strange way because he started to tell us about Toto being inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame in Nashville. Oddly, it takes Nashville to recognize yeah. the genius of the West Coast band. But let's let Bill tell it. Toto was being being uh, 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 inducted into the uh, Musicians Hall of Fame in Nashville. It was like the first year they did that. And me and Will went to see it. Went to he said, "Man, I haven't seen." And this is the first time they played with both Davids. Paige and Hungate hadn't been in the band oh, for years, right, yeah. and Steve uh, Steve Picaro hadn't been in the band for years. And there it was this is the original band. Yeah, wow. Yeah, this is everybody but Bobby. And they got the guys from uh, Gary Lux to sing all Bobby's parts from Rascal Flatts. Okay, pretty cool. Oh, that is a cool show. Wow. But we were walking from the from the show place up to this actual Museum Hall of Fame, and I was walking with the drummer. Stevie Ray Vaughan's drummer, I always forget his name, he's a monstrous drummer, shuffled for days, right? And I said, okay, I gotta find out something. I played his guitar once and I couldn't even lift it. He says, oh yeah, he says, if, if he had the kind of strings that most people play, he'd rip them off the neck. He just gets so passionate about playing. Wow. He says, so he realized at some point in the game, I just gotta put on damn near like bass strings, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. His sound was so radically big, yeah. a great big giant sound. And he says, and I said, man, he must have been strong like an ox. I said, are you kidding? He's got arms like that. He says he was just so passionate. Yeah, okay. That he just, and, and the, the, the strings fought him like crazy. But so it kept him a little bit more honest. Yeah. Rather than trying to do, right. which he could probably do. Mm-hmm. You know, listen to Bama Massa. Mm-hmm. Blues, 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 blues. He went on a different set of strings. Yeah. Was Stevie just stayed yeah. in the ballgame. Yeah, gotcha. He yeah. kind of learned that much from BB and Albert. Yeah. Right. Stay in there. Well, I don't want to be responsible for holding up sound check. Yeah, I yes. Uh, I'm, I could go on and on, but uh, we appreciate well, it so much well, thank for you the guys. time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It's really fun. Yeah. Break legs tonight, guys. Yeah, when you leave it to Nashville, you're going to have a Rascal Flat singing in it. Yeah, that's a good fit, though. Yeah. I, you know, if you're going to take a Nashville and imprint it onto Toto, what a perfect way to do it than his vocal in place of Bobby. You know? It was a Rascal Flat, to be clear. It, it, one single flat, yeah. yes. Well, and thus the interview ended. Yeah, did you really say, go break legs, guys? Uh, why, is it, I'm not supposed to do that? I don't know, just... Well, you're not supposed to say good luck. Oh, yeah. You certainly shouldn't say good luck, Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't the Ides of March, but yes. No, but wait, well, that's that a different, such yeah. a cool thing. You know, <laughs> it, had Soundcheck not crept up, we could have been there another hour. So I know. Yeah. I know. Well, it, cool. Well, we'll remind everyone that this, uh, if you're 
upset with herself that you missed that concert. It's coming again April 9th, now, August 19th. Yep. This Phrase summer. Amphitheater. F-R-A-Z-E. Yep. Uh, down in Dayton area again. Yeah. Outdoors, so it should be super yachty. Can't wait for that. And Good size arena, 4,000 seater or so. Yeah. Bill and Tamara Champlin will be there. Frankie Private from the Frankie the Knockouts. Yeah, supposedly they're expanding their set list cool. beyond the three or four tunes that they did in the context of that other event. So that'll be exciting. So if you're anywhere near there and can make it, uh, make it a party. Yep. You and I will be there as well. Yeah, we will. Cool. All right. Well, I guess all good things come to an end, but uh, other good things start. Shall we do a lightning Such round? Such as a lightning round. Boom. All right, so going back to more so episode one of this interview, uh, the Earth, Wind, and Fire story, which is always a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah, you're Bill Champlin, then you're a little pissed off by yeah. it. Yeah. So this is not Bill Champlin, but it is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. I heard this tune the other day, and I thought, hmm, is this Yacht Rock? And I can't really decide. So I'm going to have your thoughts maybe influence me. Uh, Fantasy by Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> I, I don't hear anything that I would call Yacht Rock in that. Hmm. It's, it's one of my favorite uh, funk songs. If I guess it's funk, R&B, yeah. funk. One of the greats, if not my all-time favorite of that particular area of music. But yeah. I don't think it's Yacht Rock at all. There's a f- I was surprised the time I heard it, like I said recently, that there were more elements, at least for me, sonically, that I expected. Because if I hear it in my head, I'm like... No, that song's not even close. But then when I heard it, I was like, mm, maybe. So, anyways, it's probably not. But guess what I did? You put it on your list. I did. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, you hear that sound? Mail's in. Here we go. Wait, what is that sound? That is the sound of more viewer mail. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. I got a message from one of our listeners. I think he's in Sweden. Uh, listener Gunner. G-U-N-N-A-R. And he tried to t- stump me. He had recorded a little um, sound clip, voice memo, of the end of a, a song. And says, this sound familiar to you? Or these chords sound familiar? And I don't think he was testing me on the song. But mm. I think he was surprised that I came back with the title. Because it's a super deep cut mm. Toto record. It's a song called Tale of a Man. And it's from their XX compilation. Which is sort of a compilation they did of stuff that they'd pulled out of the archives to finish after Jeff had yes. passed away. Yeah, you told me about that. Anyway, I think he was surprised I came up with it. In fact, I'm surprised I came up with it. (laughs) But his question was, um, I think, do you hear other influences in this song? Because the song is kind of a mix of, it's got areas of it that are hard rock and almost prog rock, because it's an outtake from, I think, the Hydra album. Hmm. But then it goes into some super yachty groove stuff. So it's like, it's rocking, then it's yachty. Then it's rock, then it's yachty. And it keeps going back and forth. That's yacht rock. That is. But I think he's hearing some of their other recordings or other songs in it. Like, when I hear it, I think I hear a little bit of Georgie Porgy, or I think I hear a little bit of 99. He thinks he hears a little bit of Boz Skaggs' Miss Sun in Hmm. that. So let's hit a little of that, and you tell me what you think. Okay.
Yeah, so you definitely hear that David Page, Boz Skaggs influence yeah. writing. You know, that classic yacht rock groove too, with the bass yeah. line and everything. And then it's got the proggy elements. Huh. That's cool. That was kind of interesting uh, take. Yeah, thanks, Gunner. Very good. Well, I think that's uh, back to you then. Still, All right, with... buried treasure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of going back to the heart of what buried treasure was, and this is a song that probably all the yacht rockers that really study it know. But not everybody does. It's on a compilation called Lost Hits of the 80s, right? Mm. Um, But this is a can't-miss buried treasure, so I'm going straight for it. This is Nielsen and Pearson, If You Should Sail. Yes. Wanted to get that one in there. That's a good one. Worthy. Yep. I think I had that song picked for one of our Catch of the Day episodes for, I think it was One Yacht Wonders, and then someone corrected me that they actually have two songs. Oh. But yeah, that's a good tune. Very yep. good. Yep. Well, I'm going back to my well from last week. Remember I uh, discovered this Leon Ware? Oh, album? yeah. Yeah. Uh, courtesy of Captain Hugh in the Contessa. I don't think and- I did my homework because I did not search for another song. Oh. Well, it'll be obvious once you, you said it was a little game or fun. Yeah, I don't know fun what you game. Said. Yeah, so we'll see how many listeners uh, pick the right one. So if you checked out that album, um, you know I talked last week about how this quote unquote personnel for days. Yeah, somehow I neglected to mention that the drummer, at least on some of the songs, hard to tell which, is none other than Jeff Picaro slash Picaro. Picaro, yeah, yeah, depending on how we're and, saying. And not Lindrum either. He's actually no, this playing is, this Well, one. listen for yourself. Here's the tune that I heard on Yacht Rock and Radio that I instantly fell in love with and had to go explore more. It is called, uh, careful now, Can I Touch You There? Gotta be Jeff Picaro. That is vintage Picaro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very We've good. probably been wrong all this time. It wouldn't be the first time. No. Yep. So that, like I said last week, that whole album is phenomenal. Uh, and Bill and Tamar are on it. Well, one more. Uh, I've got an off the map for you here. All right. You ready for that? I am ready. Okay. Well, this is uh, Bill in his heyday with. Uh, Chicago. So this is Chicago 17. This might be just before they started making decisions in a boardroom instead of a pizza parlor. <laughs> but he wrote this song with Foster. And interestingly, Lionel Richie is Ooh. the third uh, leg of the stool in terms of writing this one. Um, to me, it's really the only Yachty-ish song on Chicago 17. And I think it's close enough that you could uh, make the case for it. But I'm going to have it as an off-the-map thing, and I'm sorry to tell you there's more synth bass coming your way. Here we go. Please hold on.
there's still some yachtiness in there. It's not pure yacht rock at all, but there's still some in there. I think that's about as yachty as Chicago 17 was ever going to get. Yeah, it's a little post time, but there's there's you can still hear it in the music if you can't hear it always in the sounds. Correct. Yep, exactly. All right, very good. All right, for my off the map, I'm going to 1996, mm-hmm. but I'm staying with Bill Champlin. Well, good. And I can't decide. I mean, the song is yachty, even though... It's never been scored by the OGs after the love is gone. So remember, in episode one of this interview, I asked Bill Champlin, what was the best version of After the Love is Gone? And he said... The one from uh, Airplay for the Planet with Jay Graydon. Yeah. He could have very easily said his own. So in 1996, there was a live album called Mayday. And let's listen to... And I'm guessing that Tamara is singing on this. Okay. I'm just guessing. So let's hear a little of the live version of Bill Champlin doing After the Love is Gone. So, um, I, did you know much about that album? I didn't know no, anything about not it. A bit. So, but this is interesting. So, I found a little write up on it at allmusic.com, and it says Bill Champlin's solo albums of the 1990s recorded for Japanese release yeah. and licensed to European and American companies created a demand for live performances that he began to satisfy by undertaking tours when he wasn't busy with his duties as a member of Chicago. Yeah. Yep. So, um, in May 1996, following a Swedish tour, so he's really hitting all yeah, the hot Sweden, spots. Yeah, Japan, exactly. He picked. He booked a couple of days at the Leeds rehearsal facility in North Hollywood, California, to document his live show. And this is what this is. So, really cool. It's kind of all over. Uh, there's some Chicago stuff. There's some Bill Champlin stuff. But he's got uh, Greg Matheson on keyboard. So, wow. But that's a cool version. So, add that to your list. Your running list of uh, After the Love is Gone versions. Wow. And if you're a uh, Facebook user, follow Greg Matheson. You mentioned him yeah. on Facebook. He's a great follow because he's got a lot of great old stories to tell. And isn't he somewhat active in the Yacht Rock Facebook group? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, cool. I wouldn't know because I'm on Facebook timeout. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm actually winning. By yeah. now, you yeah. should be out. Yeah, I, but I'm pretending I'm not because I don't want to go back. All right. Well, what do you... Is that it? That's it. All right. So, I guess... Ahoy polloi. 